Welcome to a special episode of Do Justice, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the sixth and final episode of the special Lenten series, Contagious Hope. My name is Brianne Swan. I use she and her pronouns, and I am Minister for Social and Ecological Justice with Shining Waters Regional Council, part of the United Church of Canada. Contagious Hope is produced and hosted by the Reverend Alexa Gilmore of Windermere United Church in Toronto and has been available every Thursday throughout the season of Lent on the Do Justice podcast feed. We give thanks to Reverend Alexa and the beautiful episodes of hope and reflection that she has brought to us over the past six weeks. To ensure that you won't miss any upcoming episodes of the Do Justice podcast, we encourage you to subscribe in whatever feed you happen to be listening to. And now, here is Alexa Gilmore with Contagious Hope. I'm Alexa Gilmore, and this is Contagious Hope. We're working toward access for safe, effective, quality, and affordable vaccines for everyone, everyone on the planet. The United Nations Sustainable Development Goals are a universal call to action to end poverty, protect the planet, and ensure that all people enjoy peace and prosperity. But as we've learned over the past six weeks of traveling together on this podcast, COVID-19 has provided opportunities for some and exacerbated suffering for many. Like all of my previous guests, Sarah Hildebrand wants to invite you to be part of the solution. And her idea is simple. It starts with a question. If each one of us is called by our religious traditions to love our neighbor as ourself, then what should our individual response to the global vaccine rollout look like? Sarah Hildebrand is a Christian, a founder and executive director of Millennium Kids, and is now heading up the Love My Neighbor Project. I'm excited for you to hear about her ambitious goal. Sarah, welcome. Thank you, Alexa. Sarah, I want to start with prior to COVID-19, because you were already involved in visioning a world of justice and peace. Tell me about Millennium Kids, what it is and how it came to be. Millennium Kids was uh, birthed out of an experience I had at the end of 2009 when I learned about the United Nations Millennium Development Goals for the first time. And I remember thinking to myself, if every Canadian knew about these goals and the 100 and 
93 countries that were on board, we would find a way to get that done. And I had a passion to teach that to children and to mobilize kids around those goals. And I, I knew that they would have hearts that cared about ending poverty and ending inequalities and caring for the planet. At the time, in 2009, I had four young children of our own, my husband and I. And so that was where Millennium Kids started from. It's a grassroots organization that creates opportunities for and with Canadian kids to really propel Canada forward to keep those Millennium Development Goal and now Sustainable Development Goal from 2016 onward. The promises that Canada made to be a part of the solutions to ending poverty and reducing inequality and taking care of our planet together with those 192 other United Nations. So we um, teach workshops in schools we gather kids together to take trips to Ottawa for the day to meet with politicians like in a bus from Toronto to Ottawa for the day and back again in the evening to meet with ministers and politicians and find out how is Canada progressing, how can the students who are there and others that they represent from their classrooms, how can they help to accelerate Canada's efforts and, and meet these goals by 2030. So you were active in the, in the schools, you were taking children on these trips and then March of 2020 arrives and the pandemic comes with it. The schools are closed. No one is going anywhere. What happened to you and the organization for that period? Well, all of a sudden in March, uh, all the children came home. So we had our own four were home. One had come home from university. The others are in elementary, uh, middle school and one in high school and trying to set up the house to accommodate these four kids mm -hmm. online doing their schooling. And I, you remember the unusual and strange adjustment for every Canadian family at the time. I so that, that took a few months to uh, negotiate those changes and for all of us to adjust to that and support the children in that, in that change. And I felt like at the time pursuing Millennium Kids well, first of all, it was how do we pivot along with every other organization that was trying to find their, their feet in this new reality. But also, it was, I couldn't add something to what was a bit burdensome at the moment, schooling for teachers and families that I had typically been working with. So it mm -hmm. felt like an appropriate time to pause Millennium Kids. That was very much on my mind because I couldn't stop thinking about that goal number three of the Sustainable Development Goals about healthcare, and there's a particular target that even speaks to vaccines. The wording of that target is so beautiful that we're, we're working toward access for safe, effective, quality, and affordable vaccines for everyone, everyone on the planet. So I knew that at, at some point we would be able to dive in, but just waiting for the right moment when students seem to be at ease enough with their new school circumstances that they could think outwards toward their global neighbors. So you then did pivot in the fall and started offering, I think, online workshops and partnering with, with uh, Catholic schools and Jewish schools. But something else also happened to you. A new call came. What happened to you in November of 2020? Well, it was just a regular morning, and I was reading in Matthew chapter 15 at the time, and the story I was reading that morning before the kids woke up uh, was about the crowd that had gathered, and Jesus was miraculously feeding 4,000 people with only seven loaves and a few small fish. 
I love that story. It's such a beautiful story. And it just really got me thinking about the vaccines. We were all, by November, we were approaching the news that there would be a vaccine available and, and how would it be getting out and rolling out to, to all of our global neighbors. And I was just journaling and writing to, writing to God, how does this story that I've just read about you miraculously feeding 4,000 people, how does that connect to COVID-19 vaccines? And do you have great plans? Or more like, what are your great plans <laughs> to bless where there's shortage, Lord? Because this story is a story on these pages, but he hasn't changed. And we just expect the same thing today. Will you multiply these vaccines that we get in Canada eventually? Will you multiply the ones that Canadians can pass on to our, our neighbors in developing countries? And then thinking about the instruction to love our neighbors as ourselves, I wrote down, if we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, shouldn't we pass on every second vaccine available to us in the way that it's one for me and one for you? So I thought about those questions for a few days and, and immediately went to the computer as we, as we do when we're challenged, Googling, what can I learn about the, a global response? What's the United Nations doing on the, the COVID vaccine rollout for the developing world? What are the plans? How are we going to tackle this? And I learned about the international partnership that we hear about in the news now, COVAX. And yeah. so that comes out of the WHO and the United Nations and Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. And that they had this ambitious plan to provide 1 billion COVID vaccine doses for the world's poor. And then I was thinking about how if everyone needs two doses, it actually only vaccinates 500 million. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't shake that simple math calculation that that meant only 12% of the poorest half of the globe who would receive these doses would receive the life-saving vaccine in 2021, according to COVAX's plan. COVAX has identified 92 low- and low-middle-income countries, so that's where I was getting that number from. Those 92 countries represent more than 4 billion people on the planet. And thinking about 12%, I just thought, not, how can we let that happen on our watch? And at this rate, how long will it take before our siblings are vaccinated? Um, looking this morning at the Bloomberg uh, website, it said that 486 million people, 292,078, that's the number of doses that have been administered as of today. And that's to 137 countries now. Hmm. So we're still leaving out over 50 United Nations countries. There's 193 altogether. But we are proceeding at about 11.9 million a day right now, doses being administered. And unfortunately, at, at this rate, we're still gonna be late 2024 to get the whole world 100% vaccinated. So it's a slow moving train still. It's a slow moving train and it leaves behind some of our poorest um, who will be vaccinated many years after Canadians. And that, according to all of our religious traditions, is not acceptable. So you've come up with a creative solution. Tell me what that is and who is at the table with you now to, to answer the call. So jumping off of that idea... How are we going to love our neighbors? And shouldn't we pass on every second vaccine available to us? I put together this proposal that Canadians could pay one vaccine forward each 
And that's how we can help to vaccinate 38 million other global neighbors. So if I get vaccinated, I can pay for someone in one of the other countries to get vaccinated? That's right. That's, we've, we've formed a partnership with UNICEF. We've invited lots of faith leaders and organization leaders to the table so that we could develop this whole idea, not as an idea that's coming from me or from Millennium Kids, but together around a table, a virtual table from Zoom now. And um, with UNICEF, we reached, I reached out to them in December and mm -hmm. spoke with the president, David Morley, and they were very drawn to the idea, the simple idea of one for one and reaching out to Canadians and asking them to pay forward a vaccine dose. So they have helped us uh, because they are responsible to distribute all those COVAX vaccines. So 1.3 billion to, the, to our developing neighbors in 92 low and low middle income countries. And they have the expertise because they distribute over 2 billion vaccines every year, even before the pandemic, just routine childhood vaccines and others. So we've partnered with UNICEF and they are coming up with costs, so an average cost per uh, two doses. And it's about $5 to uh, actually make the delivery, and then they're mm -hmm. working on the cost of purchasing a vaccine so that we can add that. And for about $10, you could purchase an extra vaccine and have it delivered to a neighbor on the other side of the planet. Sarah, I have so much faith, and yet just this week my parents tried to get their vaccine and we're told that there's no supply. What happens if there are barriers, hurdles, um, once you raise all this money? Um, what are you worried about, if anything? Um, and what's the plan? That's a really good question, Alexa. It's been on our minds throughout how to not just pay for the 1.3 billion vaccines that are already planned, which are still not fully paid for, so that is an obstacle. And UNICEF has costs that they need to raise to deliver those 1.3 billion. But for us, we also wanted to keep an eye beyond that. We didn't want to stop at the 1.3. So we were wanting to think about how could we support whatever organization it is that will be providing donate, um, vaccines beyond the 1.3 billion. So ultimately, we learned just a couple weeks ago that now UNICEF is going to purchase additional vaccines, so another 100 million they have planned. Um, so they're working on purchasing those for after they've delivered the 1.3 billion to the developing world. And so that was uh, an answer to prayer, how we could help enable Canadians to be able to fund additional doses. But our big dream is to be able to pay um, as as Canadians raising money for that extra hundred million. And the total cost that's estimated for that hundred million is actually a billion dollars. And then it would be so incredible if we could help pay for the, that first extra hundred million and then every other high income country could take the next hundred million and the next hundred million. And we could just pass this, paying this forward all the way around until the whole globe is vaccinated. I think that's my big dream that comes out of that hurdle. Wow. And this is something that, as you said, has not just come uh, th 
through you, but through this partnership with UNICEF, through the interfaith partners. And I understand that it's, it's actually an idea that's serendipitously popping up elsewhere. Um, do you want to tell me about that? How, how this simple, beautiful idea seems to be multiplying like the loaves and the fishes? Sure. So one of the, uh, when I originally drafted the proposal, I sent it to a few faith leaders, a rabbi, uh, a prominent Muslim community leader, uh, the former head of the Canadian Council of Churches, uh, a, a dean from a college here in Toronto, so a number of leaders. But uh, Commissioner Christine McMillan, she uh, sits on the UN Multi-Faith Council, and so mm -hmm. she's brought the project to the UN Multi-Faith Council and shared it definitely globally. She was aware of a similar vaccine fundraising project developing in the UK alongside our project, just traveling in the same stream. And so the UK version of our project called uh, vaccinaid.org is their website. They launched on Monday. Um, the UK is quite a bit further ahead than Canada is. I'm told by UNICEF that last weekend they reached 50% of the population in the UK has had their first dose. So they were very ready to express gratitude, whereas some Canadians are still nervous about whether they're going to get their vaccine soon. And so the UK finds themselves at a place further ahead than we are. While some Canadians are nervous about uh, whether and when they're going to get their vaccine, there are other Canadians and other organizations uh, that are ready. And I think yesterday you had an exciting announcement. We did. Yesterday we had our fourth Zoom call. And uh, yesterday at our Zoom table meeting, the participant from the Salvation Army Canada, Captain Dockery, announced that their denomination would like to pledge a donation of $100,000. $100,000. Now, is that a, a call to all of us in our other faith traditions to, to be inspired? Um, what do you think of I that? I think it's beautiful for a denomination to step out and lead in front of asking their, their members and, their, and spreading the word amongst the, the people that worship in their community, um, that they would step out and make the donation first and, and lead the way. It's just a beautiful gift, and their focus on loving their global neighbors that they don't even know. Uh, it was inspiring to hear, and I'm sure it will be a catalytic gift for sure. I think we'll look back and see what that released. And you are about to sort of release this vision into, uh, into the Canadian landscape. Uh, and you've spoken so far about, about uh, interfaith leaders and governmental uh, organizations. Are there other groups of people that you are hoping uh, will come to the table and, uh, and share this vision with you. Yes, now that we have a dynamic and diverse group of faith representatives at the table working together, it's on all of our minds to continue to expand and draw others in, in Canada to the table. We want to reach out to business leaders. We want to reach out to artists. We want to know how, what's the role of the artist in the rollout of the vaccine? What role do they play? What's the role of a business owner? 
What role do they play? We are, uh, UNICEF is in conversation with the Canadian government on our behalf to ask that they would match grants also that would come, uh, donations that would come through the Love My Neighbor project. We're, it's our hope that businesses would participate by paying forward one vaccine per employee. That would be a great way for a business owner to get involved. Or a philanthropist could pay forward one vaccine for each of their extended family members. There are so many opportunities to get involved. As you see this movement of the spirit already in the Salvation Army, in the interfaith community, in the organization in the UK that, you know, unbeknownst to you was, was dreaming the same dream. I'm wondering how you are uh, reflecting on that passage from Matthew 25 right now and the loaves and the fishes and where you see um, that initial answer uh, that question you had to God of how will this happen. Are you closer to an answer on that? Like, I don't really have the answer yet. I'm just trying to figure out how to say that because I can taste the answer, but it's not here quite yet. And, and we look forward to our launch on April 14th and we know and we're, we're confident that gr the gratitude of Canadians is going to overflow and bubble up and be contagious, like, like the title of your podcast. One of the reasons why I love to share the Love My Neighbor story is that I know that it's God's stories like this that have increased my faith and my expectation over the years as I've heard them to, to co-create my own dynamic story with God. And for each of the listeners, that you are co-creating your own stories with God, partly because of hearing and reading stories of how others have listened to the promptings of God in their own life and, and then taken risks and, and said yes. And saying yes, those stories has, have shaped me. Stories that I've read in the Bible, the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, biographies, our expectations of how God's gonna step into our lives and how we're gonna hear promptings. And I, I always want my yes to be a big yes, even before I really understand what God's leading me into, like this Love My Neighbor project. That's one of the ways that I'm working at my faith. That's where Love My Neighbor came from. It's just a big yes before you know what you're saying yes to, and I hope that I can grow in that more. I add my prayers to yours for all of us who are, are growing into our faith and learning to say yes. And if someone wanted to say yes to joining you in this co-creation of this vision that God has put before you, how would they do that? Well, we haven't launched Love My Neighbor yet, so the website is not up and the donation button is not active at the moment, but that's coming April 14th. So in the meantime, you can go to the Millennium Kids site, so that's millenniumkids.ca, and there's a newsletter there for Millennium Kids. If you just type in your email address in that box, we will send you a notice on April 14th that everything's live and you can pay one vaccine forward to love your global neighbor. Oh, I can't wait till April 14th and all that clicking on the internet, sending love to our neighbors across the globe. Thank you so much. I'm just having this image in my mind and I, I wonder if you might sort of travel with me into the future, say 10, 15 years from now, 
and you can imagine the most perfect of futures, and you are reminiscing with your four kids and maybe even a few grandchildren. What will you be saying in that most perfect of futures about how people of faith responded during the global COVID-19 crisis? I think I might just read them the story in Matthew 15 again of the loaves and the fishes and remind them that it was no one great act that caused such an outpouring of generosity in Canada. It was a whole bunch, millions of $10 gifts, just like the loaves and the fishes, that God takes and he turns it into something with incredible impact. So don't ever think what you have to offer is not enough or too small. We are the beloved children of a creative God. And in the vision that you hold for us, I see the way forward. Sarah, thank you for sharing your story, God's story, today with us. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you. It's been a very meaningful time to share with you. And, and I don't really know you. I, I just feel a beautiful connection with you guys. Over the past six weeks, hearts that care have heard personal calls to action from people of different faiths who have shared a common belief that no one should be left behind. Today, Sarah reminds us that God leaves no one out. You and I have a purpose, a calling upon us to love my neighbor as myself. The Love My Neighbor Project is one tangible way to do it. And as we move into the third wave of this global pandemic, I hope this podcast has you wondering, how will I boldly, creatively, lovingly answer the call to be at the side of my neighbor today for there is no lockdown on love no quarantine on god's grace this is alexa gilmore and i'm sharing these stories as a way of inviting you the faithful to the front lines the back alleys the migrant fields the vaccine clinics and every place where christ is found this is my last podcast episode for now. If you want to be kept up to date on what I'll be doing next, please drop me a line at gilmorealexa at gmail.com. That's G-I-L-M-O-U-R Alexa at gmail.com. Keep on loving, my friends, because nothing spreads like hope. Contagious Hope is produced by Reverend Alexa Gilmore with assistance from the McGeechee Senior Scholarship, awarded by the United Church of Canada Foundation. Special thanks to our guests and our editor, Peter Restivo. To share your feedback and join in the conversation, email gilmorealexa at gmail.com. That's G-I-L-M-O-U-R Alexa at gmail.com.